Let's get to the Brooklyn Brawler. Ding, ding, ding. Hey, folks, if you're a fan of wrestling, you know the word jobber. You've heard it before. It has very early origins. Merriam-Webster Dictionary describes it as a person who works by the job, which I guess in the uh, early days of professional wrestling, that made sense. Uh, also, you other definitions describe it as a person who does casual or occasional work. Uh, today, they've made it more PC. They call uh, people who do this enhancement talent. But my guest today may have started as what you might call a jobber, but he became, oh man, so much more than that for the WWE as he helped launch the careers of some of the biggest names in the history of professional wrestling, including Bret Hart, uh, Mark Henry, yes, the Ultimate Warrior, and uh, you ever heard of someone called The Rock? Uh, he's doing uh, okay these days, uh, just to name a few. Steve Lombardi, better known to many of you as the Brooklyn Brawler, joins us here today on Primetime. Steve, great to have you. Yes. Are. <laughs> great to be here, and thank you for having me. Yeah, I tell you, it has been a while, and uh, we were just oh. talking before we, we started rolling here. Uh, over three decades with the WWF, yeah. WWE. And I, th I said, I, I think that maybe the only one uh, who might have a few years on you, if, if any, is Howard Finkel. <laughs> it's yes. amazing. And it's, and it's actually four decades. Yeah. Well, 80s, I guess 90s, 2000s, yeah. 2010s. Wow. And, uh, and I, can remember like, I can remember like yesterday you saying on Superstars, coming up next, the Brooklyn Ball with Bobby Heenan against the Red Rooster. Do you remember all that? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I was thinking about it. You know, if you count all the hours in television, uh, you may have had a lot more, you know, uh, uh, FaceTime than a lot of the uh, other superstars in the WWF because you were on pretty much every single show, plus all those, show, all those matches that we did uh, for International. So you, you were on TV a lot. I would say so. I would say I wrestled every wrestler in the industry, except for a few. And like you laugh about the rock. I, I knew the rock when he had $7 to his name. I know him since he's eight years old. I wrestled his dad's first match in WWE. And then I wrestled rocks first match in WWE. Wow. That that's Isn't amazing. That cool? it, yeah. And you mentioned, uh, he had $7. He has a production company. I think it's called seven bucks. And because that's, of that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Steve, we've got a lot of ground to cover. Uh, 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 you know, initially, I mean, I want to talk about you know, you, where you grew up. Of course, the, the Brooklyn Brawler uh, was because you grew up in Brooklyn. But, um, you know, you, you, you did it in a different way. The way you came into professional wrestling is, is, is very different than a lot of people. Uh, we'll get to that. But first, tell me a little bit about what it was like to grow up uh, in that that part of the world. I lived for a number of years, even before I went to work for the, the WWF, uh, back East. And I live actually lived in Manhattan, but, uh, it, you know, it's a different world to describe to people what it's like to grow up in, uh, you know, that tri city, you know, we're talking, uh, or tri state, I should say, uh, but especially in the boroughs there and in Brooklyn and Queens and all the, uh, and all that, uh, other, uh, area that is right there by Manhattan. Yeah, it sure was. It's a different. It was a different world back then than it is today. Yeah. When I grew up in Brooklyn, it was basically Italian American neighborhood where right. every every family and every home was Italian. And uh, I went to New York High School, which people wouldn't remember the show Welcome Back, Carter, but you would. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Vinnie Barbarino. That's the high school I went to. That's yeah. that's the that's the high school I went to. New York High School. I'm a legitimate sweat hog. <laughs> 
<laughs> now, because that, but you know what's funny, Sean? Yeah. I say that show to people today, the younger wrestlers, and they never heard of it. But did they, I, I mean, I know they, they used like the, the uh, facade of the building, like that was actually on the show, but yeah. I can't remember, was it in Brooklyn? I mean, did they have, was that no, where the show? No, they no. shot in Hollywood. They shot in Hollywood and they used the exteriors of the building for the open and, and the clothes. But did it play, did the, the fictional show, did it, did it take place in Brooklyn? Was that, I, I can't remember if that's where it no, was the actually. No, the show was, the show and I believe it was done in Hollywood. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I, I mean, I think. I, but I know. I was, I was just saying the characters, though, I thought was, uh, I mean, was Oh, it, you think yeah. they're legitimate characters from the yeah. history? Is that what you're asking? Yeah, I mean, no, I think... No, not that I know of. I don't, the story I don't think of we it. had Vinnie Barbarino in there. and uh, I mean, we had people similar to that. You yeah. know, there was we, we had the, uh, the football team wearing all green jackets, and then we had the guys who wore jeans and leather, leather, leather vests. You know, yeah. there was that, that, certain, that certain persona yeah. that, that did occur back then. But I was just wondering if the storyline was was based in Brooklyn. I can't, I, I didn't remember because I didn't use the name of the high school. I don't. know. I'm just getting off track here. But it's, it's New uh, Utrecht, New Utrecht High School. Yeah. <laughs> well, but but uh, you know when people uh, talk about th- that time, and uh, you know everybody got around in a subway. It's hard to explain to people how you could get anywhere. You know, in the city, and the city is five boroughs, folks, and and you could go. You know, you go out to Shea, you could go to Yankee Stadium, you could go into the city and go to the garden. I, I, it, it must have been a, a gigantic playground for for kids when they grew up there. Oh, yeah. You jump on the B train, you could be at the garden in 20 minutes. Yeah. You know, that, and that's what makes it so valuable. The homes over there are so valuable. It's incredible. Yeah. Whole, where, where are you living, Sean? I'm out in Arizona now, but I lived, I spent... Oh, you're in, okay. Yeah, I spent a good... Uh, 20 years back there. And, uh, you know, so I, I know it well, but I always wondered what it must've been like when you, you know, as a kid growing up there, because you could go anywhere, you could go out to the Island, you could, you know, be at the beach, you Coney Island, if you wanted to. And, you know, it was all like a day trip. And I just thought, God, that yeah. must've been a lot of fun doing that. It was cool. And it was only like 75 cents for the subway. I don't even know what it is today. I would yeah. just walk about four or five blocks, go go to the subway. I could go anywhere I wanted to in the city. I could go anywhere I wanted. That's how I got into wrestling business. Yeah, I got I got together with a bunch of friends, took the train, we went to the garden, you know, and then, you know, the history. It's all it's all history from there. Yeah, uh, but growing up, uh, you, you mentioned like this traditional Italian family. People have you know the the uh, a lot of families live together, and I think what I think your grandparents lived in the same house with the like split levels, you know, had like different apartments. You guys lived upstairs or downstairs. You read, you read my book. You read my book. Did you read my book? Absolutely. I do a lot of research. <laughs> well, I do more than just the book. <laughs> because I go into depth with all that in the book. Yeah. yeah. Of course I read your book. Which and folks, brawl- we're going to plug that a few yeah. times. It's Brawler Unfiltered yeah. and you can still get it. It's I got it through Audible. audio book. Yeah, I got, the, yeah. I got it through it's Audible. Audible, iTunes, it's on everything. Yeah. But I put it on Kindle now because some people like to read. <laughs> but, Imagine but you know what the funniest thing? Yeah. You know what the funniest thing? You you were there on my transition from Steve Lombardi to Brooklyn Brawler, correct? Oh yeah, yes, I was there. For yeah, because I remember because I remember you doing the I remember you doing the plugs. Who was the world champion when you were there? Well, Hulk, of course, was the was the, the, you know ro- rode that wave for Hulk. as long as I was there, basically, and then Randy, of course, yeah. you know, 
Yeah. You know, so Hulk did so much to me. Hulk, Hulk went to Vince and told Vince, I, I want Stephen Barty to travel with me everywhere. He says, because I cannot go to airports. I cannot go to ticket counters. I can't go here. And Vince okayed it. And I got to travel with Hulk Hogan for almost two years. Yeah. Well, and we are we are going to get into that, but I want to uh, talk about you know the origins of how you got into the business. And I mentioned before that um, you really didn't do it in a traditional way. Uh, not that there really is one, but you know either uh, a lot of guys who come up through families and that connection, or they or they find a wrestling school, they get somebody to train them. But you basically uh, you know showed up in New York City at these garden shows. And basically just kept showing up. And eventually uh, Arnold Skolan said, you know, kid, if you want right. to do something, then come out to one of the events. Now, and, and I, I guess maybe you were just naive at the time, but, uh, you know, and, and wanted to do this. But when you showed up, I think out on Long Island, I think it was, um, sure, and you basically got stretched. I mean, it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't like they're giving you a you know, this great lesson. Yeah, yeah. I did. They, 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 they threw me. He threw me. Well, the first time I went there, he blew me off. Then I came back the next yeah. time, and yeah. then and then and then he uh, sent me to the Savoy. And uh, we went to the Savoy. That's where I met him. It was a bar right by the garden where all the wrestlers go. Right. So he sends me to Shirley, Long Island, and then he uh, he starts talking Carney. And uh, even the guys today don't know what Carney is. It's a language spoken between the wrestlers. You know, with the Zeeling, the Chiazek, the Kiazar. With the, I mean, you, yeah. you, it was the round when you were around. Kiazai, Kiazen, Spiazik, Yeah, you got it. You got it. You're going to get everybody confused. Nobody knows that anymore. Only circus people. <laughs> so, right. uh, so anyway, I go, I, go in the, I go in the arena, and then uh, Skola tells me to get in the ring. And then he tells, he, he talks in Carney to like Mr. Fuji, Ray Stevens, Jimmy Snooker, and they all jump in the ring. Mm. Now I'm saying, what the hell is going to happen to me now? So he, he goes, Jimmy's going to slam you, then Ray Stevens is going to slam you, then Snook is going to slam you, and I want you to keep going around. And I'm like, okay, I can tough this out. So I, I just run into there, and they're just scooping me up and slamming me. Slam, slam, slam. It's hurting, but I'm not, I'm not really letting it let, letting on. Yeah. So they're all laughing. All the boys are around the ring. This is before the matches even started. Right, and they're, so, they're, uh, they're really shooting on these slams. I mean, they're not just... Uh, oh, you know, yeah. Oh, no, they're, they're, they're drilling yeah. me. They're, they're yeah. drilling me. You know, they want to teach me a lesson, the young kid, you know. Yeah. So all of a sudden, they all leave the ring. Skolan goes, not you, kid. And I'm like, oh, shit, what's going to happen now? He says, he talks Carney to Mr. Saito. Mr. Saito jumps in the ring. I go, what the hell is this? You know, he, he was a scary individual, if you remember. He oh, walks yeah. up to me, and he snatches one arm to my side, grabs me in a belly-to-belly, and he gives me a suplex. He looks at Skolan, and he goes, heavy. And I'm saying yeah. to myself, Wow, yeah, I've been working out. You know, I look, you know, I'm, he must mean I'm really big. Uh, meaning, you, you know what you know what he was meaning. Yeah, exactly. You know, and and when, he, when he gave me the belly to belly, oh right. my God, I said, this is not for me. It's going to kill me, you know, because it's my first, it's my first falls. It's my first yeah. bumps. Yeah. And, and, and I just uh, kept going back. But they were testing you. Uh, probably, you know, Scullin was probably just hoping, you know, okay, now he'll stop bugging the crap out of us. Or, or he's going to stick around. I mean, that's basically what it would come down to, right back then. Yep. And you know what I did? I stuck around. I kept coming back and coming back and coming back, and until they finally said, "Show up at TV school," and said, "Yeah." And it was Gorilla Monsoon back then too. Yeah, but as as I uh, mentioned, though, you didn't really uh, have any formal training at all. I mean, unless you you know something you didn't talk about, but. That's I, no, I really wonder no. when you when you would show up to these uh, TVs and folks, um, 
when they back then they really were people you know were jobbers were basically raw meat for these superstars and there's not a, a a chance in the world that they're going to try and work with you they're out there to just to right. beat the living shit out of you really to make them look right. tough and mean so but you didn't even have the training I, I i was really wondering when you talked about it that what those in those first matches uh that you had must have been like because it was I, you'd had some judo training um, but yeah, yes, what were you like out there? I mean, really, that when you got in the ring with these I guys? Was, it... the, the first match I had was against S.D. Jones. It was a house show somewhere, and, I, and they, they threw me in the ring. I borrowed some tights, borrowed some boots. I went in the ring. Anxieties. People will never understand when you walk to the ring, you get anxieties and, and yeah. you get winded just from the, from the atmosphere. So I get into the ring, and I'm kind of freezing. I hear S.D. going, relax, kid, relax, kid. You know, and he's, he's trying to help me. And it wasn't very good, put it that way. And it wasn't taped, which I was very happy about. Yeah. But they didn't they didn't really smarten you up at all. I mean, they probably, you know, tell no, you this no. is what we're going to do. But for the most part, it's pretty stiff. Yeah, they're trying to tell me it's real. They're trying to show, to show me, like, uh, this is what it's going to be like. You'll never make it, kid. You'll never make it, kid. It was like that. But I was just getting, I was just getting more determined. Yeah. More and more determined. So was all of this, I mean, as far as your education went, it was, it was pretty much uh, just showing up to these TVs, seeing who they paired you up with, and then either, you know, getting destroyed or actually learning something from these matches. Is, was that it? Yeah, what it is, what it, what it was, it was all squash jobs. So you yeah. go in the ring, but all you have to do is be able to get beat up and then know what right. the finish is. And then they walk you through that. And if you don't do it, they get you through it. You know, it was scary. I mean, it was scary. And the one day it changed. It yeah. was, it was, uh, but did you get, before you get later. to that break, uh, Steve, yeah. did you get hurt? Was there any, I mean, like they were somebody really hurt well, you? Just prior to no, no, just aches and pains. You okay. know, your back hurts, nothing serious, no hospital type right. injury. Yeah. So all of a sudden, you know, I was, I, I, they tell me to go to Allentown and go to the TVs. So Scola says, Hey kid, show up in Allentown. We do TVs and in Allentown and Reading every three weeks. And I said, oh, great, great. So I go to, I go to Allentown, and I'm, I'm, I show up, and, I'm, and I'm, I get there early, and I'm standing there, and I watch all the boys start to walk in before the matches. And uh-huh. then I see Skolan walk right by me, and he, he ignores me. He don't even know me. He's like, oblivious to me. Yeah. So I, I go up to uh, – I, I, I look, I look there's a blackboard in the, in the dressing room, and they put all the names on the blackboard, who's facing who, who's facing who, who's facing who. Right. I look at the name. My name's not on here. But Skolan told me to be a TV. Yeah. So I go up to Monsoon. I go, what? I go, Gorilla, uh, Steve Abadi. I says, uh, Mr. Scullin told me to be here, but yet I wasn't on the board. He goes, uh, simple explanation, my boy. <laughs> Arnold Scullin did not tell me you were here. <laughs> but be prepared, next TV, you will be working. <sighs> I said, fantastic. But you, re- you remember how Gino talked. Yeah, that was that very know? good. You know, and uh, he was one of those people also that... Um, he had this tough exterior initially, uh, and and if you right. didn't, uh, I, I don't know, earn his respect or you know do something that made him think you were worth anything, uh, he didn't have time for you. But if if he liked you, I mean, he would uh, he helped a lot of people along the way, and it's it, it sounds like initially he took a, a liking to you and and did help you. 
Oh, he he helped me so much that when I first got into business, I got married. I'm married 32 years now, and, yeah. grew, and I got married in Vegas. And then he comes up to me. He goes, "Why didn't you tell me you were going to Vegas? I would have been your best man, and I would have got you the best hotel and this and that." I said, "Oh, damn!" To my wife, I said, "We would have been hooked up." Yeah. <laughs> but he, you know, because he was Mr. Vegas back then. He used to go down there oh, yeah. 20, 30 grand. Yeah, but he wasn't going to Atlantic City. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. You're right. Uh, he, he he was uh, he was at my wedding too. He, did, did, was, oh, he, was he? Was, yeah, he was at my wedding. Yeah, him and Hal. Yeah, he told and, me and afterwards. Alf. Yeah. Yeah, uh, but but anyway, <laughs> yeah, he he was just a, a, an unbelievable guy. I, I mean, I loved, and I would not have survived my first year in the business if it wasn't for for Gino. He was, uh, you know, he was so good oh, to yeah. me and spartaned me up in a lot of ways of, you know, just uh, you know surviving. You know, because you remember back then, Steve, when everything was colliding. Then when when uh, Vince started, you know, we're talking after '85 when he started to bring in people from the outside, really, because he wanted to step up his, you know, the production value. I mean, Vince has always been right. very, uh, you know, very wise about that. But you you remember at that point when they're bringing these people in, it was a it was a big collision because a lot of people didn't like right. people from the outside, like you said, you know, the whole talking Carney and. Uh, shutting you out and you really did have to earn their respect and if it wasn't for those guys there's no way i would have survived i'm I'm sure it was like must have been really hard for you uh coming in as well and i don't know how long it, it took you. different business huh. different business than it is today that's for sure now you go to the training camp in orlando they train you then when you're ready they send you to nxt and then, i mean they got a whole different thing now yeah now uh before steve they, all, yeah go ahead yeah no, I was going to say before they had territories all over the country. Yeah. And then right. Vince would just pluck the top stars out of all the territories and bring them in. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. And until he, uh, you know, steamrolled them and, and basically put them all out of business uh, and that, and changed the yeah. business forever. Um, but I want to ask you when, you know, when people are jobbers, uh, you know, they're getting work basically every week. If you If you're decent, they'll keep bringing you back and have you, you know, travel. And, and at that point in time, uh, the WWF, WWE was pretty much based in the Northeast. So the the shows that they did, besides the fact they're syndicating them, they're trying to get them all over the country. But the tapings were right. done pretty much in the Northeast, so you could stay in that area. But you could be you could be one of those guys. And I remember we'd go to a place, and they'd have their local guys that would show up, and they would destroy them. Um, right. What was it though that that separated you? And I, I know you had one very big break. Uh, talk about that. Like I said, what uh, what separated you from just being these guys that showed up every week, and then also that that big break? Okay, the thing that separated me from it happened in one day. We were in Allentown. Ricky Steamboat started. Now he was a big star from Hawaii to Charlotte's. Yeah. You know, he was he was a big star. I see my name on the blackboard against Ricky Steamboat. So I go up, I was, I was, I was nervous and happy at the same time. I go up to him and go, Mr. Steamboat, I'm, I think I'm wrestling you tonight. He goes, he goes, there's one thing. He goes, I don't believe in beating a dish rag. I uh-huh. says, whatever you want, sir. So that's the first time I'm doing leapfrogs. He's leapfrogging me. He's taking big bumps for me. He's doing all this for me. I, I, I gave me the first time that I actually gave me some offense. I uh-huh. go back to the dressing room, Pito Santana, another fan walks up to me, goes, how did it feel? I'm saying, how did it feel? He, he thought it was, it was weird that all of a sudden I'm a jobber and now I'm doing, I'm having a competitive match with Ricky Steamboat, one yeah. of the hottest wrestlers in the country. Yeah. That's how that changed. 
<clears throat> as far as the big break, Bobby Heenan was everything. Yeah. Bobby Heenan chose me to be with him because he had all his guys, Kurt Henning, the giant, Andre, uh, Rick Rude, and I can't remember every single one. They were all busy. Yeah, no kidding. He had quite a stable. Yeah, different angles. So yeah. he says, "We got I got Terry Taylor here. He says, he he's I'm, he turned on me, and we have a feud going. I have nobody to work with him. I'm going to take you into my stable, and I'm going to take you and bring you to the top, and you could battle against, against uh, Terry Taylor. Yeah. That's when he became the Red Rooster. Right. Well, uh, and Bobby you know, was, you're talking about when the, we were transformed in the, into the Brooklyn Brawler, but, but prior to that, um, you really, after the, I guess, you know, after Steamboat, and I guess, you know, the other boys must have taken notice that, you know, uh, there's, a, there's a big difference between going out there and absolutely destroying a guy and somebody who can go out there and, you know, make it look like, ah, this guy's got a chance. And that yeah, makes the yeah, guy look, look good. better. But You're they right. didn't trust, they wouldn't trust a lot of these guys. So they go out there and just absolutely destroy them. So at this point, after that Ricky uh, Steamboat match, um, did the other boys start taking notice that, hey, I want to work with that guy because he's going to make me look really good? Yeah, I, I assume so. But they would put me with whoever they put me with, I'd, I'd yeah. work three times. It'd be three hours. So I was saying to myself the whole time, I'm going out there, I'm working with the Iron Sheik, I'm taking the camel clutch, I'm going out there with Piper, I'm getting beat by him, but I still have enough energy to go out there and wrestle Bob Orton Jr. So I thought to myself, I look like Superman inside the building itself, because mm-hmm. it was weak, it was weeks, you know? All right, yeah. Yes, yeah. I looked very, I, 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 I looked better than, I looked better than everybody else getting beat up. Yeah. <laughs> Be- only because I kept going back and I kept doing it. And I was right. learning in the ring. It was like on the job training. I just kept learning more. You got to get more accustomed to it. So was there a point that uh, you realized, and, and you talk about this in your book, that uh, where you, you realize that you've got this talent for doing this? And uh, I don't know if, if initially you had in your head, you know, I want to be uh, a big superstar, be on that stage or you know, was there a realization? Say, you know, I'm really good at at doing this, and and you say you never minded losing. Um, explain that. I never minded losing because I knew that was my role. I was there to do to, to make the other guy look really good and lose at the end. And everybody would always say, "Oh, you lost so many matches. You lost so many matches. You're losing." And I'm saying to myself, "Thank you, thank you. I convinced you. I convinced you." Yeah. You know, it was it was a different feeling in my a different mindset in my mind than, than the fan than the, your casual fan. But what was it about you in that ring, though, that you were able to make these other superstars look so good, and you helped launch a lot of these guys' careers? Uh, I'm sure there were other yeah, good, that was uh, other enhanced that was talent on. that was good. Yeah, but I was, I became a fixture. I was like every, every TV, every TV, every TV, other talent wasn't, you know, as, as frequently on TV and they were utilizing me more. So I'm working three times a night, two days, three times a night, two days. And I'm doing this every single three weeks, every single three weeks. So I'm improving. My hip toss is getting higher. I never forget Iron Sheik going, oh baby, you take me your hip toss to Iron Sheik. You, you <laughs> say, say stuff like that to me. And I would get encouraged. I said, holy shit, she just said I took a high, high hip toss like him, you know? And I, and I used to, like, when I got picked up for a slam, I'd flutter my legs to make it look a little bit different, you know what I mean? To make uh-huh. it look better. 
Yeah. I, I tried like little, little things that were different. Guy punches me in the face. I spit. Oh my God. He just knocked his teeth out. You know, things like that. Little, little things that kind of made it a little more, a little more special. Yeah. And also I remember some of the matches, uh, where we'd have a behemoth. We wanted to show, uh, you know, just their incredible strength. You know, somebody like Mark Henry or something. And, oh, yeah. you know, you could go out there and oversell it. People, you know, you, that's what would happen a lot of the times. It would be too much. But I remember watching you and it just looked, you know, like that, that's, that just happened. I mean, that guy has that kind of strength to toss his body, you know, to the other side of the ring. Oh, yeah. I knew, I, I looked at the guy and I seen his strengths. Like I knew Mark Henry was a strong man. So I, I hit him with a tackle. I take the fall. I, I go to hit the rope again. I tell him to get me in a bear hug. He, he just muscles me in the bear hug. He could hold me there for an hour. You know, I, I yeah. punch him in the head. I punch him in the head. He drops me. You know, but if I worked with, if I worked with a guy like Shawn Michaels, it would be a whole different ball game. It'd be reverse, double leap frog, go for a reverse monkey flip. I'll move on the elbow. You know, it's like a whole different ball game. Mm-hmm. So you got to just, you just got to adjust to your opponent. Is there a different kind of ring psychology for somebody uh, who did what you did in the ring? Or, and I know you're, you're still doing it, but is there a different psychology? Yeah, the psychology is I wanted to get booed. <laughs> but I mean, that's like a heel, but it's me. different from a heel, though, too, because your job is to, is to uh, you know, set these guys apart from, you know, the other superstars, to, you know, to make them bigger than life to people in the crowd. So I'm just wondering, because you yeah. talk about ring psychology a lot, and I, I wondered if there's a different approach than, say, a heel. Well, the psychology that I would have as a jobber in the early 80s when I first started would yeah. be when he hits me, I want to take a crisper bump. Like uh-huh. when he gives me a hip toss, a higher hip toss. Whatever he does to me, I want it to look like it hurt me more than it hurt the last guy that he did. Uh-huh. So I would always think I would always think in terms of making making him look more realistic. Yeah, and, and well, and it, and it worked. I think that's why uh, a lot of the guys liked working with you. Not not just because of the familiarity, but like I said, when you uh, did the, those moves, it wasn't over the top. That that, that uh, you know, a lot of times you would see these guys that would overdo it. You know what I mean? Yeah, they wouldn't make it look. Right. It wasn't yeah. It wasn't like it was uh, like it actually happened. It was just you know okay, right. you know. <laughs> right. I always felt like Kurt. I always felt Kurt and Mister Perfect was a better better wrestler than Rick Rude, but Rick Rude would draw more money. Why? Because Kurt Henning was impressing the boys because when he when he when he kicked his leg, he'd flip over three times, and the boys yeah. said, "Wow, what a work!" And Rick Rick Rude would be arrogant and just be like kicking and punching. You know what you know what I mean? So people, like, yeah. that's no. real. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, and Kurt had Pretty no much, problem selling for you, you know. No, because, no, Kurt, no, Kurt was fantastic, but yeah. but the boys, the boys could appreciate his talent a lot because what he did was very, very, very. Uh, he was very agile. I mean, Kurt was one of a kind. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. But Rick Rude, Rick Rude had this arrogance with that little uh, gyration he did, and he yeah. had all those pictures on his tights and all that. I mean, he had this. He had he had more. He had drawing power. Yeah. That's why I always feel I use them too for analogy because I see it that way. They were at the same time. They were there at the same time. Yeah. Well, um, you, you mentioned when we started talking here about your relationship with, with Hulk Hogan and uh, with, with Terry. Um, you know, why did that click? Because it wasn't just that he, you know, thought you're a, a good guy to work with or oh, whatever. 
but he took you on the, he took in. you with him. I mean, and when when he was yeah. really taking off, what? How did that happen? Well, I, I, I was marking out for Rocky Three. You know, he came fresh off of Sylvester Stallone and Rocky Three, so he was yeah. like bigger than life to me. So I was like, I was like a mark. You know what I mean? I walked up to him. Oh, oh, yeah, Mr. Hogan, you were great. You were great. And he'd be like, "Stop walking out, brother." You know what I mean? Like, like he acted like he didn't like it, but apparently, yeah. He but must I, have I was going to say, it. I would but, think that he'd be like, "Get this yeah. guy away from me." <laughs> yeah. Well, he he was saying that he was saying stuff like that, but he was meeting yeah. inside. Yeah. Thank you, you know. But he was a, he was an experience to travel with. Great guy, great guy. I don't have a bad thing to say about Hulk. So how did you? But how did you guys hit it off, though? I mean, this just because we hit it off great. I did all the I did all the driving. He loved me. You what? I I did all the driving. He loved me. <laughs> you know, and but he was funny. He used to like. He, his, I used to stay at his house sometimes in Connecticut. He had like a condo there. He was married to Linda at the time. And he, uh, she would fix, fix us a big lunch, and then we would drive up like, to Boston, and he would keep giving me these big chicken salad sandwiches. He'd go, you know, brother, if you get so big, they won't believe if they beat you. He was doing stuff like that. I mean, he was, it, was, it, was, it was too much. He wanted me to just work out and just get bigger and bigger and bigger, and they won't believe it. You know, but that's not what I, not what I was looking for. I wanted you to look great when you wrestled me. I didn't want to outlook you, you know, but, but he's great, great guy. So in those early years, I, what what years are we talking? Because I'm I'm trying to understand, you know, well, like what Brooklyn what peak of fame he was at, huh? That was before Brooklyn Bowl, pre Brooklyn Bowl, so pre 1989. Okay, but I mean the, the he was pretty much 84, uh, 85, maybe. Yeah, so he was very much already pretty famous. Uh, or, or was he? Was it just before it really just exploded where no, he couldn't he go anywhere? He was already on the front cover. Of, he was uh, he was already on the front cover of Sports Illustrated as the uh, most recognizable sports figure in the in the world or the country, whatever they say. I mean, he was he was on the Tonight Show with Joan Rivers. I mean, he was he was way up there back then. So, what was it like to travel with him? I mean, you couldn't go anywhere without people mobbing him. It right? was pretty. It was it was pretty cool. But he he said to me, he goes, brother. Vince said you just travel with me, but you're gonna get a lot of heat. And I'm like, well, why? He goes, because you're gonna be in first class all the time. All the all the agents are gonna be in the back. You're gonna be getting limousines with me and Lear Jets with me, and the mm. boys are not gonna like it. That's what he told me. And did that heat come? Which was <laughs> not really, because everybody was kissing his butt so much. They you know they accepted me. Yeah. But yeah. but it was funny. A young kid like young kid like me. Uh, in a Lear jet with Cindy Lopper, Mr. T, and uh, Hulk Hogan. Did you no. imagine that? Yeah, that must have been pretty heady. I don't know uh, uh, how you you handled it during that period of time, but it must have been. It was, it was like traveling with a rock uh, band, I guess, right? I mean, a rock star. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you you make me you go keep going faster, brother. You you drive like you got bicycle tires, and I'm speeding, speeding. We must have got pulled over twice a night. But every time we got pulled over, all the, all the cops go is. All, all I want is an autograph. All I want is an autograph. <laughs> you know, but today it would be different. It'd be Lieutenant, we got Hogan. You know what I mean? It's, it's different now. Yeah. The world was different. The wrestler had a lot, a lot of uh, privileges back then. So I think it was during that, that time when you were, were traveling around with, with Hulk that you met uh, your wife, uh, right, uh, in Detroit? Yeah. Was that during that period of time when yeah, you were with Hulk? Yeah, yeah. yeah. There was a limousine, you know, we, we used to get the limousines. We used to go like to Detroit once a month, once a month, once a month. And then, uh, 
my wife was working for the limousine company that would rent the limos, but Hogan would always stay back. You know, right. I would do all the paperwork. And then um, I'd see her like once, once a month, once every two months. And all of a sudden Hogan goes, you know, brother, I know you like that girl. Take the limo for the night. That's what he did. That's what he told me. <laughs> so I said, holy shit. I told, I told my, my wife, I said, you want to go out tonight? But I won't be out until about 1130 because Hogan, Hulk Hogan was on last. She, she, didn't even know, she didn't even know who Hulk Hogan was. She was not a wrestling fan at all. Really? She just yeah, knew he was uh, just, some famous talk. guy. Yeah, she just she, she said she used to flip the channel, see wrestling, and, you know, to, to a girl, I guess it's different. She goes, oh, she just passed right by. She never really got into it. Yeah. Oh, you, you mentioned, it's funny you mentioned about, you know, not really getting out of the arena till 11, 1130. Um, the way those house shows worked, and many many people listening I know have attended house shows, but, it, you know, it, it, the whole uh, business at that time was based on house shows, really. That's how you guys made your money from the gates. Right. And, yeah. uh, you know, whoever was the, the big draw would be on last for many, you know, pretty right. self-explanatory there. You want to keep the crowd there. And I remember, right. Stephen, and uh, one of the things I really, because I, I wasn't from the business, I didn't, uh, I, I had to get my education once I started working there. But one thing I always thought was just so cool is that you would go to an arena and the first thing anybody did was go into the locker room and they would shake every single person's hand yep. in that locker room right down the line. Absolutely. Because Absolutely. With, the, was, with the loose handshake. With the yes, loose handshake. like butter, right? Yeah, yeah, that was kind of the because you worked like butter it was you know soft if you were really good. But not but not today. You do that today, and the wrestlers will get, get, get on you. They don't want that today. Yeah, well, it's a whole different world because the reason for that, and of course, it's, it's was kind of it was traditional, is that you're basically thanking that guy for helping to put food on your table for your family because you get Hulk there, you know you're going to have a big house and everybody's going to make money. Okay. And of course, it, you know that money was divided up uh, considering where you were on that card. But that was, I always just got, uh, thought that was just such an uh, incredible, honorable tradition. I, I'm, if they don't do it today, I'm, I think that's too bad because. Um, well, they don't do, they, they, they shake hands, but they just don't do that, that uh, buttery handshake. They just do a firm. But not, but not everybody. I mean, you know what I'm saying? See, if you would go around and every single person in that locker room, because they, that, they oh, felt yeah. every single buddy, every single person in this locker room is helping me to make money. And I'm glad to be here. And, uh, right. It's too bad that that. It's true. That, it's true. And well, so some people now. would have a little, a little e some people would have a few egos and they'd be cliquish. You know, they go to a different side. Yeah. And uh, and like if you, if you remember one story in the book where, you know, I met I met uh, Snooker a few times in the bar, the Savoy, and then when I went to the dressing room, all of a sudden, I you know I, I I'm giving all the handshakes, and then all of a sudden I, I go up to Snooker, he goes, "Lovely brother, I remember you from the bar." You know, he was real friendly to me. You know, he you know he really. He, he was a very, a very friendly guy. I want to yeah, talk yeah. with him for years, too. Yeah. Absolutely. He was, was always a great guy. I never had any problems with Jimmy, um, but he was one tough son of a bitch, though, that's for sure. I remember one time when Cows put handcuffs on him and he broke the handcuffs. Yeah. I mean, there was, was all kinds of stories. But uh, you see what happened. When back then, the boys were not as diligent as they would be today. As like they would miss towns, you know, they'd have uh, marital problems. They do this, they do that, and I would fill in all the holes. So my deal right. was, I I show up to every, every town in the beginning, to every town, and if somebody is missing, I get a payday and I get to work. If they don't, I lose my trans and I lose my uh, payday. Yeah. And I made a good living that year. 
Yeah. I made a good Steve, living that year, very, very rarely. Yeah. If I can ask, uh, I mean, what was the money like then? I mean, from the time you started, I imagine it was probably nothing. Uh, from probably did, no, barely, didn't no, cover we, gas money to when spent, to where you what'd you make then? Well, I might not tell you figures, but but like all I could say is a lot, it was a lot of money for the time. I was a young kid. It was like 20, 23, 24 years old, and I'm making five hundred one night. Okay, you know stuff stuff like that. So, you know, to me that was a lot. But when I was traveling with Hogan. I'd make more money because I'm in the A town, the big mm-hmm. town, and I right. work twice. I'd work first as Brooklyn Brawler, and then I wait for Hogan last, and I pull away in a limo with Hogan. <laughs> yes, I, I guess so you're twenties, man. You're living large. I'm living large, but there's one thing that Hogan wasn't telling me about—a little thing called taxes. Because, <laughs> because <laughs> at the end of the year, at the end of the year, I got hit with a hell of a bill. That's a tough lesson. But. Uh, yeah, but like a lot of those jobbers, right? Months. They'd show up and they'd—I don't know what they paid them, fifty bucks. I mean, you know, these guys just no, wanted no, to. No, if you worked a house show, they gave you a normal payday, whatever it was. Everybody got different, you know, a few yeah. hundred, five hundred. But if you were TV and you were a steady, you would just get like a a, a very small payday, like a fifty dollars for TV. So TV would be a loss money-wise for you. Yeah, I know that, and that was a rough night too because they. You know, that day started, God, I don't know what time, you know, the doors would open and they'd start doing matches, these, you know, the dark matches or whatever. And that would go, I remember there would be, you know, folks, you have to realize that, you know, they would be shooting, you know, they have to get enough material to cover all these shows. So these things would go on and on and they would have Hulk come on last because they didn't want people to leave. But you'd see kids who were like, it was like school night, you know, (laughs) it's 37 matches tonight. Yeah. I mean, boy, did you get your yeah, money's worth, but good Lord, you know, that's like enough. Or, and I remember they used to, uh, I think his name was Bob Collins. He was one of the, the, uh, I remember Bob Collins. remember Bob yeah, and they I would crowd, yeah, you know, they would move the crowd. Cause you know, this, it, it was a long night and some people were like, yeah. all right, I can't stay any longer, but those were just really long nights. And I remember, you know, these, they would have local jobbers. They would have these guys that would just come to try and get noticed. And I don't know if they what they got paid, but oh man, they would just get destroyed. And uh, yeah, but it's all relative because the, in those days, the money, the money, you could get more for your money. Today, yeah. you get less for your money, and you'll make more money. Everything's relative. Yeah, um, okay. I want to I want to talk about when things really did change for you. But you tell you tell a story, and I know you got close to Andre too. And I, it's just a really oh. a sweet story that uh, you know I, yeah. I, I got do, to know. Do you, want me, do you want me to tell it? Yeah, please. So, I, so, I, so, I, so Andre, so Andre takes a liking to me. Andre was the type of guy that he either like you, he, he didn't like you. Yeah, and right. if he didn't like you, he would not speak to you. So yeah. he happened to like me. So he goes, "Boss, I stay in the Ramado on Forty Seventh Street. Can you pick me up? Can you drive me to TV?" So I was doing this for a couple of weeks. A couple of weeks, and he starts going like this to me. He goes, "Boss, where do you grow up?" I go, "Brooklyn." He goes, "What's tell me about it? It's an Italian family? My mom lives." My mom and dad live upstairs. My grandma lives in the middle floor. I said, it's all Italian. He goes, take me there. Just like that. Because we had, we had hours. So I call my mother. I go, Ma, I'm bringing this wrestler by. She goes, who? I go, oh, just some new guy. You know, don't you know about him. Just bring him by. So I didn't tell her it was Andre. So mm-hmm. we pull up to the house. And like she's out the second floor window looking up. And I'm, I'm driving. So I, pa- I park right in front. So I get out. She goes, who's with you? Who's with you? So all of a sudden, Andre, it's a Cutler Sierra. Andre's all squashed in it. Oh, little Cutler Sierra, Oldsmobile. And Andre gets the seat seat went back. back. (laughs) Yeah. 
<laughs> and he gets out and like my mother goes, Oh my God. <laughs> and he was like so great. He was like so gracious to my mother. You know, he started to, you know, talking. He wanted, all he wanted to know was like the traditions and the foods and yeah. the different things that you did in Italian. Did he share a meal? Did you have him for a meal? No, no, no. We didn't have time. We had to uh, to stop for like 10 minutes and leave. Yeah. Did you ever see that movie? It's my favorite year. No, I don't believe it. Oh, well, it's it's a great movie. You got to check it out. But it's. Is that an Andre movie? Huh? Andre's not in that, is he? No, no, no. But The Princess Bride, which is one of my all time favorites. Yeah. But I was just saying that the premise of it is uh, this guy is he's supposed to watch this very famous old time movie star. And he takes him to uh, the land, uh, you know, of Brooklyn and the whole family shows up. It's just it's a right. But I was just that scene must, you know, Andre the Giant in the neighborhood must have just been. Oh, my God. That probably really fast. He was almost bigger than Hulk Hogan because he was bigger than Hulk Hogan. Yeah. As far as stature, so so everywhere he went, he was just like an eyesore. Oh, Hogan was like a movie star. He looked like a superhero when he walked around. Yeah. But uh, yeah. to have Andre at your mother's house in Brooklyn, yeah. Bensonhurst, yeah. where all the houses are attached, and, and all the little old ladies are sitting on the, on the porches. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> it was yeah, I was going to say, the neighbor that must have traveled fast, and people like, you know, oh, suddenly decide they need to go for a walk. <laughs> so they yeah, well, we didn't, we didn't walk by the Lombards. Yeah, yeah, we didn't stay too long, but it was—it's yeah. a great memory. My mother still talks about it to this day. Uh, that's that's so awesome. But, uh, but but my career, when you think about my career, all the characters that I've done, you, you realize Steve Lombardi, Brooklyn Brawler, Kim Shiva Kamala. Remember that? I think you were you weren't there for that. Were you there? Yeah, but now yeah, but I remember that. That 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 must have been a lot of fun because. Uh, you got to be this other character, nobody who you knew who you were, and you you got to yeah. do that same opportunity as Doink. Uh, but um, this one, you want to hear a good story? My phone rings at home. I picked up. I said, "Hello." He goes, "How you doing, pal? It's Vince." I said, "Yeah, Vince. Whatever you need." He goes, "Ha I know you'll take care of it." And I, and I said, "Well, what do you need?" He goes, "I need you to fly to Calgary and wrestle Bret Hart in the main event. He was a world champion at the time." Yeah. He goes. As Doink, <laughs> that's what he told me. I never yeah. had paint on my face, and never did the Doink character nothing. I said, Vince, I had no problem wrestling bread. I wrestled it before, but it's the paint job." He goes, oh, oh, "Oh, no problem." He goes, "We're going to fly you to Stanford, where Jill, the makeup girl, is going to teach you the paint job, give you a diagram, everything you need. Then we're going to fly you to Cleveland, where you're going to get the Doink suit from Matt Bourne's wife. And then from Cleveland, we're going to fly you to Calgary, and where you'll wrestle Bret Hart." That was a tall order. This is all in one day? This is all in one day. Fly to Cal- yeah. fly to Stanford, go to the studio, get the little little lesson, give me a picture, so. give me all the paints, then fly to Cleveland, go to baggage claim, get the handoff of the suit, go back onto the plane, get, and go right to Calgary, get to Calgary, gain three hours in Calgary. So that's, that's, that's what made it possible because you got the hour difference, time difference. Oh, my God. The scariest thing was the paint job. Because Doink was the hottest heel at that time. So as soon as they hit the music, you just go out there and you just... I mean, it was, Doink was over at one time. Oh, my God. Are you kidding? I, yeah, absolutely. As a heel. Yeah. As a heel. Oh, I love that character. I really, I really did. Um, and, and uh, you know, he could get away with that. You know, like it was like your scariest nightmare in a sense for a lot of people. 
And then, uh, you know, but you could get away with the, the worst, you know, pranks. And, uh, and then he would, he could be brutal in the ring too, which was oh, that, yeah. that character was very over. I think initially people were like, what the hell? And yeah, then it really like did. Katie. I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean, he was a great worker. Not yeah. So anyway, I'm working on all, work, all these characters and all the years are passing, years are passing. I did 17 straight years in the ring, active wrestling. Then I started working behind the scenes. 15 years as a producer in the pre-tape room. Now, I believe when you were there, we had, we had like interview rooms separate, like portable rooms, yeah. I think. I think that was your... Yeah, no, they did. And then Howard, Howard uh, headed up the event center uh, with those interviews and then... Uh, yeah. So, but they they built those they rooms. Face to face at the office. They had all this different stuff. Yeah. But then they progressed into calling it the pre-tape room, and uh, initially it was Michael Cole uh, working there, and uh, oh no, it was uh, Michael Hayes, and he hated it. He did not want to be in there, and he he used to have trouble getting the talent into the into the uh, pre-tape room, which is the interview room. Uh-huh. So he, he I used to say, Michael, I'll get the guy in there. Watch. So I had a great rapport with the boys, so okay. I could bring any wrestler into the room easily. So he's he's like seeing 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 a light bulb going off in his head. He's like, maybe you should work in a pre-tape room, you know. So give me some goofy job in the pre-tape room. Then he phases out of the pre-tape room. They put Michael Cole in there. Michael yeah. Cole's like the head of the pre-tape room. Then Michael Cole don't want to be in there. He wants to be an announcer. Then they bring Jonathan Coachman in, and then it's me and Jonathan Coachman. Then Jonathan Coachman goes to ESPN. Then I got the pre-tape room. I'm in charge of all interviews. Wow, fifteen. Well, years. A lot of people, yeah. And Vince likes uh, people that are, are uh, you know, multi-talented and uh, wear a few hats. Uh, so that, that must have been quite an education, especially uh, working with those guys. Um, but, uh, you know, before we get to your career as it advanced uh, into, you know, from the ring, which you still kept stepping back into. But I, uh, I have to ask you about that when, when, uh, and you mentioned it before about, uh, with I, I, Bobby was the first one that came to you and told you about that character, yeah. uh, the, the brawler, or did you help come up with that? How did, how did the, uh, no, I, I had no, I, I had nothing to do with that. Bobby came up and says, we're repackaging you. Now this oh. is Bobby. Hinton. He's a top manager. He's like, he's a commentator. He's doing everything. You remember he was somebody, he was like the guy. Yeah. He, goes, he goes, we're going to repackage you. He goes, you're going to be my heel. One of my heels. He goes, you're going to work against Terry Taylor. He goes, we, you, not, you know how to work now? Now we're going to teach you how to make money. That's what he said to me. But at that point, was that kind of reaching, uh, I don't know, a peak for you? Uh, this kid who starts out as a jobber and then becomes this, uh, you know, helps make, launch all these careers along the way. And then you get your opportunity to be a superstar. Which uh, we know yeah, that no. you know that roster wasn't very big, and uh, no. to to reach that, what what do you remember thinking at that time? I, you probably couldn't wait to uh, run I, to I'll phone be honest with you, and I'm, and, I'm, and I'm not just saying this to make you feel good. When I seen you, you used to do those recaps, or you know the uh, yeah. coming up next, this and this, and tonight we will see Brooklyn Brawler with his manager Bobby Heenan against the Red Rooster. I said to myself, Oh my God. And now you put me in the category of Randy Savage in this one, and this one, and this one, and this one, and that one. And my name was in, coming out of your lips, and you were plugging me. Uh, yeah, that's and very it, cool. It's still on YouTube. They're all, they're all on YouTube. Oh, everything's all on YouTube. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, you know, that, that had... Bobby, said, put a, Bobby says, where, put a stogie in your mouth. I want you to have a cigar in your mouth. Wait till you hear about this one. You're not going to believe this one. But we'll get to it later, you know, when you want to progress to that. Because the afterwards... The after 
I, I part after I we me and uh, WB parted ways. My life got even more exciting. <laughs> okay, <laughs> we'll I'm get to that. You, it's crazy. Huh? It's crazy. But what do you remember of that run, though, when you were like it was you were the Brooklyn Brawler? Uh, you did other things after that, but when did I was you? The Brooklyn Brawler. I first became the Brooklyn Brawler. My yeah. my money tripled, quadrupled. I really? remember going home and telling my wife and telling my wife, I said, uh, "Listen, we got to save every dime. We're making more. We save more." I always tease Terry Taylor. I say, "I bought a home. You bought a Volvo." Mm. <laughs> you know, because we had different different priorities. I bought my first. Well, home a lot of the guys blew their money too, with you know, just buying all all kinds of stuff because, you know, they had never made that kind of money before, and, the, and these guys are, you know, rock stars. They're making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year now, so a lot right. of people didn't handle it very well. Some many put it up no, their nose. A lot of them did. A lot of them did, and a lot of them didn't. Right? No, no. Then you're right. There are there are others that yeah were very smart about it. Uh, you know, Tito Santana is one of those guys, you know, put his oh, kids yeah. to college. I just, just fa- yeah. FaceTime with Tito three days ago. Yeah. Great guy. Uh, so, uh, but as the brawl, I mean, you, you got some really great opportunities. You wrestled, uh, for the championship, I think twice or, you know, and, and, uh, Oh yeah. Shawn Michaels, Madison square garden. Yeah. Now let's yeah, back, you know, with, back that's up that's on that one. Though. Yeah. But that, yeah. And backing that's, up, on that, that also had something to do with the screw job. With Brett, because he was yeah. supposed to be. Yeah, well, yeah listen, let, let, I'll tell the story really okay. quick. I, well, yeah. Not quick, but I'll tell it. Okay, so we're wrestling yeah. in, um, in um, Madison Square Garden. Yeah. They have, they're having a battle royal. I'm, not, I'm, I'm in the battle royal, but I'm just the guy to get thrown out and this and that. So all of a sudden, Ken Shamrock was scheduled to win the battle royal. Ken Shamrock injured his sternum in his chest, like his bone in his chest or something. He got injured. So the um, the agents, well, they call them producers today. We call them agents back then. They right. would walk into the, uh, I remember it was Lanzer and uh, Chief and those kind of guys. They walk into Vince, and I'm right behind him listening in because the door was open. He goes, Vince, Shamrock can't go over. He's hurt. He can't work. Vince takes his little glasses, puts his tip of his nose, looks up and goes, put Brooklyn Brawler over. He's local. Not not realizing that he's that he's that he promised the winner of the battle royal wrestle with the world champion in the next garden show. <laughs> yeah. And, and then, but you know, but nobody was real. Nobody was remembering that. All right. Except me. <laughs> so you, do, you didn't bring it up before you went in that ring. <laughs> oh no. I, I, I just started a memory lapse right there, but, yeah. but I went, I went to the ring. I, I, I had the match. I won the battle royal and all the agents are coming. I'm Jack Ramsey. You'll never get your match. Chief. Uh, we're still thinking my friend. But you will not get it. So I walk into Vince's office. I say, Vince, do you realize I didn't even know this? I said, I said, you advertise the winner of the Battle Royal wrestles the world champion at the yeah. next Garden show. He stops for a minute. He looks at me with those little half moon glasses. <laughs> he, he's sitting down and he looks at me and goes, You got your match. Uh, Just like wow. that. Yeah. And when he did that, I was like, Holy shit. So now. I'm supposed to wrestle Bret Hart in the next Garden show. And it was two months away. So now, the month before that, in between those two months, it's the Montreal screw job. Wow. The Montreal screw job, we all know what happened. Yeah. We don't know the inside information because nobody really does except Bret, Vince. And, but, but anyway, the new But what was the general feeling, Michael. Steve? I mean, you were around the boys then. Uh, when that happened, did... Mostly, most uh, everybody—they all had an opinion, I'm sure. 
but yeah. uh, business was done a certain way. So I, I don't know. Right. Um, yeah, Brett was finishing up, and then I don't know. Apparently, Brett didn't want to drop the belt in uh, in uh, Montreal where we were, and then uh, Vince, but you know, whatever they did, then they did the screw yeah. job and all that. That one guy. But aside from the, you know, all but, the dynamics but, of that, oh, you're thinking I'm, now I'm not. I'm never going to get this match, right? When that happened. Yeah, right. Because Sean was Sean was not the Sean that he is today. He was very arrogant, cocky. I'm not going to work with him, you know. That's what I was assuming he was going to say. So now we're getting close. Well, we got a month to go till the garden. And um, I remember we were in the Savoy in a bar, and Sean's in there. And and, uh, I forget it was Chief or somebody. Uh, Hey, you know, Teaspoon. He called him Teaspoon. Hey, Teaspoon. uh, You know, you work in the next garden show? With the book and baller. No, with Steve Lombardi. Oh, I was the book and baller then. With the book and baller. And he says, uh, Sean looks at me and I'm expecting, you fuck you, I ain't working with you. That's what I thought he was going to say. But he said, can you super kick? Can you leapfrog? Can you do this? Can you do that? He was so fired up about it. Really? I said, I'll do anything you want. Yeah. He he was just thinking, you see how his his mind was working? His finish is the super kick. If I super kicked him, the people would become unglued. You know? And what a match we had. It was the first... It was the first uh, garden show of DX with China and Triple H on the apron, on the outside of the ring, with me against Shawn Michaels in Madison mm-hmm. Square Garden. I remember Undertaker walking in the room, into the, into the uh, dressing room, and looking at the uh, lineup, and it shows me in the main event, and him, he's underneath me, and he goes, what the fuck is this? <laughs> That's what he said. I was like, it's not me, I didn't do it, I didn't do it, because you know, nobody wants him with the Undertaker. Yeah, but uh, it, it's a very—I it, tell you—it's a it's career. I could not even write. We couldn't write this the way the way it happened. I mean, the yeah, first I mean, match it turned out to be a great match. You weren't going to win it, but geez, I mean, it was a great, great match and a great memory for you. Yeah, and he's kicking out on two and a half, and he's <laughs> and he's, and he's selling it. He's doing all these crazy moves to me. I mean, he's making me look like a million bucks. Yeah. And then, and, then Hunt, and then Triple H jumps on the apron. I get to pop him, nail him. China comes in and gives me a Frankenstein. I mean, it was like a, it was great. It was like Did you have the whole, fa- was the whole family there? Was Brooklyn well represented? Oh, yeah. It was Brooklyn Ball of Signs. My, all my brothers and my mom was there. Everybody was there. Oh, man. It was a big, it was a big deal. It was a big deal. To me, anyway. Maybe well, yeah, not I, mean, that's... I always tell Sean. I say, Sean, it was the highest point of my career, maybe the lowest of yours. He goes, no, no, it wasn't. He goes, I enjoyed it. (laughs) But uh, it was great. I mean, come on. The Rock's first match, Mark Henry's first match, Ricky Steamboat's first match, Owen Hart's first match in WWE, Bret Hart's first match in WWE. I mean, all the things I've done, it was insane. I beat Ultimate Warrior once. How about that one? One One of the... A good Ultimate Warrior story. They come to the show, they they take me to the room, to the side, they say... We're gonna put you over all to the way you want to test his attitude. You want to see now, how how far into his career with the WWF was he? Oh, he they were just gonna give him the big push. They were like right on the edge of giving him the big push, mm. and they wanted to see if he was gonna be if he was gonna be you know easy to work with by by seeing if he will job to you know let me beat him without bitching. Uh-huh. But I liked Jim. He was a great guy. I mean, I, I really I really liked him, and I kept this a secret for many many years. Oh. And uh, I took him in the room. I said, Jim, listen, they're going to ask you, they're going to ask you to lose to me. What the fuck? Man? He, what, what's going on? This and that. I said, no, Jim, listen, they're going to test your attitude. Just say yes, 
no problem. Please do that. that that's a conversation never happened. That's what I told him. Mm-hmm. And he did it. And he did it. And then when he came in the Hall of Fame, I, I know I'm jumping around a little. And then when they put uh, Ultimate Warrior in the Hall of Fame, I, I walked into the dressing room. He was all alone. I walk into the dressing room and he starts crying. He, he cries. He goes, what you did for me? He goes, I'll, I'll, never, I'll never forget what you did for me. He goes, and you better be prepared to stand up as I tell the entire audience how you told me that they told you that they were going to beat me to test my attitude. I said, Jim, don't. I'm still working here. And yeah. they're going to think that, they, that I'm telling the information. I, he goes, and he's just going, fuck, fuck. It was 30 years ago. Who gives a fuck? I said, Jim, <laughs> listen, please. For me, please don't do that because I don't want to get any heat. You know, because they say, "Oh, tell the body anything," but you go right back and tell him. That's the way I, I felt back then. Yeah. So he goes, "Well, be prepared to stand up anyway." And he just said, "Where's Stephen Barty? Please stand up." And I stood up in, in the audience. And he goes, "I want to thank Steve for taking all my abuse and having a great attitude about it. Thank you." That's what he said. Wow. So it was so yeah. touching to me. It was so touching to me that he did that. Yeah, and a couple but, days uh, later, he was gone. Oh. Yeah. Yep. A couple of days later, he was gone. Right after that story, I got oh. a picture. I got a picture with him the day before he died. Mm. You know, but you know that's that's where things happen. Did you hear his promo on Raw before he died? Uh, no. Yeah. Never saw. He had a promo. He had a promo on Raw because we had the uh, we had the WrestleMania. The, I mean, the uh, Hall of Fame. And the, and the, then we had the WrestleMania. We had the Raw, and then he and then he came on the Raw and he said. Uh, even to the day when the warrior's heart stops beating, he will always be here. He, that's what he said in his promo. Mm-hmm. It was very, very ironic, you know. And then uh-huh. two days later, he yeah, I don't know. That's yeah, yeah, just incredible. Uh, you know, Steve, uh, as much and and you became, you know, it's funny because you you know talk about the progression and all that you had, you know, you went through. Uh, was there a point where you became kind of this? I don't know, as a seasoned veteran, that it wasn't just what you were able to do in the ring. What Did you help a lot of these guys just, like you said, what you did for Jim? You went to him and said, look, I got to test you. Uh, you. You know, don't, don't do, you know, don't you know, go crazy about it. Just do it. Right. Uh, did you help a lot of other guys along the way by, uh, like, in a sense, uh, smartening them up to things that went on that helped them? along the way, the, you know, the ones that you really thought had talent that were going to be able to contribute. I always felt, I always felt that if I was telling them something that they would do that might hurt their career, but they weren't doing it maliciously or intentionally, mm-hmm. they would do it. They were going to do it. So I would always want, want to help them like a brotherhood and help and help them and, and say, don't do this because of this, you know, and if you do this, they're going to, they're going to perceive it as this, you know, I, I, I did a lot. I did that a lot to guys. Yeah. Sometimes, and I mean, did it anyway. Well, and I'm sure there were those that you wouldn't waste your time on because no, no. Of, I mean, there were there were a lot. There were a lot of those that have traveled through uh, the company that you know that squandered it. Right, and, and they didn't last. They never lasted because they kept their attitudes the way they were, and they're gone. Yeah, they, they were gone. But everything's uh, everything's great. Thirty-two years. Oh my God. If I only yeah. bought Apple when I was younger, yeah. Apple stock. <laughs> no, I did very well. I saved all my money. I, well, good I made, for you. I made money. I made money. I made money in real estate and this and that. So I got to give you a synopsis of, of what happened 
when I parted ways with WB because you're going to freak out on this one. Uh-huh. So, do you want to do want to hear this? Yeah, of course. Okay, I have okay, you here, okay, Steve okay, Lombardi. So, okay, I, no, 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 I know, but but I don't want to jump. I'm jumping around a little bit, so now I'm jumping. Now. That's okay. Okay, so I parted ways with WWE two to four planes a week for 32 years. When you parted ways, wow. but anyway, I get home. I got a 90 day clause where you non compete clause. You can't you can't do anything for 90 days. So my yeah. phone's ringing off the hook. My phone's ringing off the hook. I'm not saying I'm just blowing them off because I said 90 days. I wanted to take a year off and just relax. After 32 years, I wanted a year off. So all of a sudden, uh, the phone's ringing. The phone's ringing, and, uh, and then a couple of friends of mine called me up there from Brooklyn. They want you in Brooklyn. You're going to be huge in Brooklyn. If you come to Brooklyn, why are you in WWE? It'll be big. If you go, I said, I'll do this one shot. I go, I go to Brooklyn. I put the tights back on. Boom, boom, boom. Get a great reaction from the audience. So, so did you continue to stay in shape at that point? Oh, I'm, I'm in the best shape of my life right now. I'm 200 <laughs> pounds with 9% body fat. Oh. I'm vascular. I'm, I'm in better shape now than the book on the all it was. Really? But anyway, so then I, so then I write this book that you just, I write that book handwriting on a yellow pad. It took mm-hmm. me about six months. Uh-huh. And then I, I, I go to a studio, I have it done in the audio form. And as I'm doing it in the audio form, the director in the studio is cracking up. He's laughing. He's saying these stories are hysterical. You know, like the Piper stories, the yeah. Sheik stories, the yeah. uh, the Kerry Von Eric stories. I can't. I mean, it take him forever to go through all of those. So what happens? My phone rings. My phone rings, and it's MC Productions in Baltimore Comedy Club that wants me to do stand-up comedy. <laughs> I said, you know what? I'll use my book's material to do the stand-up comedy. So I went to I went to Baltimore and did stand up comedy and tore the house down with wrestling stories. Oh uh, yeah, then, Hacksaw does that too. I mean, people love it. Yeah, a couple of guys, a couple of guys, yeah. Jake. Doing that. Yeah, yeah. So when you did that, must have been too. frightening though to go up on a stage. I, I mean, <laughs> you know what I did? I did club. five costume. I did five costume changes right on stage. You know, I went to a Brooklyn baller, and then yeah. I, all of a sudden I turned my head and I put the daughter hair crown on, hair on, and I put the jacket on. To this, you know, and I tell a few of the stories. They were cracking up. The other so comedians. So you tell stories from the Brooklyn brawler era, and then other ones from when you were these other characters. Is that how the, the show yeah, works? Yeah, like they, they can tell <laughs> tell the stories. Like Vince called me and said to go to uh, Calgary, and I, I apparently look like this. I put the green hair on, put the jacket, the door jacket on, and then tell them hit the music. So to, to make a long story short, I do that. I go home. I'm still doing independence. My phone rings again. It's this, mm-hmm. this famous rapper called Mega Ram. Uh, I'm not. I'm not a big rapper. Mega Ram. I mean, he's, he's he's really known in the rap world. Uh-huh. He, he's doing he's doing a rap show in Florida when they had WrestleMania in Florida, and he wanted me to be the special guest at the rap show, and he wanted me to rap. Mm-hmm. I said, Hell yeah! I was in Florida anyway. I was booked at the. Uh, Fan fest or whatever they have, you know, that position across the street, you know, I forget what they call it. So I did, so I did a rap show. I headlined a rap show. And then uh, I, I memorized a few paragraphs. So you like Cena? Can you, can you, uh, riff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I was memorized. It was memorized. Yeah. I used SummerSlam, you know, whatever it was, SummerSlam yeah. with Mega Rams, you know, I'm doing it's really cool with SummerSlam, but better than that is to rap with Mega Ram. You know, I was doing, I was doing stuff like that. I was popping it. I've been all over the world, even Taj Mahal. <laughs> I even beat Jinder Mahal. You know, stuff like stuff like that because I beat Jinder Mahal. You know, you know that, right? 
Vince yes. McMahon, the TLC in 2012, yeah. I beat Jimmy Mahal. And every birthday, what they do is they put the video out of it and they say happy birthday to the man that made the impossible happen. Mm. So listen to this. What did the Book of Raw have? He had ripped up shirts and he had a, a, he had a cigar. In cigar. Mouth, right? And that hat. And that. Yeah. So now I'm doing shows around New York and a buddy of mine brings me to this cigar shop. It's uh, Ho- Hoboken Cigars in Hoboken, New Jersey. And I meet this great cigar guy, my favorite cigar guy, Don, Don Donato. And he says, and now he contacts me. I got a new cigar that comes out, the Hoboken Brawler Cigar. It's all over the place right now. <laughs> really? I, I mean, this is, yeah, there's a Hoboken Brawler Cigar. And it just came out like about a month ago. And it's not no $5 cigar you buy in the corner. This is like tobacco from Nigeria. The blend is perfect. It's, it's a high dollar. And it's selling. He said it's the fastest cigar that he's ever sold in 32 years. Wow, that's what's happening. Um, yeah. Tell us about that break from the WWE, though. What was it? Uh, you, you say in your book that it was very amicable. I'm happy. They called me back for the 25th anniversary. Well, I'm on good terms with the WWE. I have no that's problems good. with them at all. Well, especially yeah, with the network I mean, now. I mean, that's, you know, I've been, I've done. Oh, I'm uh, all over that. Yeah. And I've been, and I've had the opportunity the to do more things now with them because of that. Yeah. Yeah. So, and look at the network. Awesome. Put my name in. You'll see me beating Triple H. You'll see me beating Gina Mahal. They, 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 don't, they didn't take anything off. They just left it all in there. Could you believe yeah. I beat Triple H? On SmackDown. Yeah, because I, I think that that is probably that is something you can watch. So, <laughs> yeah, that is something you can watch. You can go it to was WWE clean, Network right? It was clean. It was no, no, it wasn't he was, clean. Uh, well, he was. It was a three he was rendered uh, helpless. <laughs> it was yeah, three and one handicap. Jericho jump came in the ring. The referee was knocked down. He gave him a bulldog. He took off. Referee recovers. I jumped on him. One, two, three. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah, you got, you got, the three. Yeah. got the three. Yeah, I got the three. Michael Cole goes, the book of Brawler just beat Triple H. I can't believe this on SmackDown. I can't believe I'm saying this. I mean, it was crazy. It was crazy. I just had Jericho in my house about uh, a year ago, and we saw, I told the story to him. He remembered it. He, he got on, on the screen and said, he's always getting into uh, Triple H's limo. He goes, uh, uh, Triple H told me to take his limo tonight. He had a pretty bad day because he just got beat by the Brooklyn Brawler. And Triple H and Steph are watching this on, on the screen. You know, it was pretty cool. I had some pretty cool experiences. Do you think that you were so successful and were able to work with that company for so many decades? Because, first of all, you always were willing to do whatever was needed to be done. But also the fact that you were so adaptable, like no matter what they needed you to fill, you could do it. Oh, yeah. Vince used to say, if I send Lombardi up to the roof to get get a flag, he'd bring down two. Yeah. You know, he's, I've always been the overachiever as far as we, get, we need to get this cold open done for the, the opening of the pay-per-view. Okay, tell Lombardi to get these certain shots, this, 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 and this. You know, then we send it back to the office, and then they, they edit everything. You know, all of a sudden, hey, look, Vince, look what we got. You know, they yeah. forget about all the stuff that I was that I was shooting. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's... If you if you got talent, you're going to make it. If you don't have talent, you're not going to make it, and no one else can help you. That that's yeah. the answer that I would, I would give you. The bottom so, line on that. The bottom line. Yeah. When so you, when you were pulled in to do all those spots, if you weren't good, I don't care if you were Vince's brother, you wouldn't be there. Right. When you when you were doing all that, you know, those plugs and all that stuff on the, at the studio and all that, 
if you weren't good, you weren't going to be there, no matter who you were related to. No, absolutely. I mean, that that's one thing about the, the business. And, I, you know, I talk about it all the time that, you know, think about it. Um, even the NFL, you have thousands of spots for people, uh, you know, when it comes down to it. But, you know, the, these teams will carry, you know, 50-something players. Well, the entire roster of the WWF at that point in time was like 60 guys. They had like 60 superstars, give or take. So think of the thousands and thousands of professional wrestlers out there that would have loved a cup of coffee with the WWF. Oh, so you think about too, the odds. Even now. Yeah. I know. It's crazy. But it's a little different coming up today because they would never let you come up the way I came up. Because you, you have to go to the, you would have to go to Florida to, to the training center. You would have to go through all their different uh, levels. They would make, they don't break, people don't break into business like I broke into business today. Why do you think that, uh, Steve, that that was such an incredible time? Uh, a, a it was an incredible time because it was an incredible time because it was like magical. It's like I, for some reason wrestling was magical. Everyone knew every wrestler. And today, as big as it is, billion dollar business. I mean, I mean, it's phenomenal. I mean, Vince is making money hand over foot. I mean, he's he's making tons of money. But yet, I believe the buzz back then was a lot, a lot more closer to people's heart. But also, what it was, it was they no nobody had ever seen anything like that before. You know, before that, uh, we're talking, you know, eighty two really when it really started to happen. You know, everything was like we talked about. There were territories. They had, you know, these little shows. Some of these guys might be able to draw a couple thousand people, which was huge, you know, at, uh, for some of these shows. And then suddenly you're seeing eight, ten thousand people in arenas. And, you know, these and it's right. and it's across, the, you know, it's mainstream. People are they're talking about it. And uh, right. do you, I think that that was also a big part of it. Oh, yeah, I agree. I totally agree with that. I really do. The, f the funny thing is, like, if you had a territory, like in Texas, and uh, you had you had, you had uh, wrestling in Texas, the people in Texas cared more about the small territory than they did about WBTV back mm -hmm. then. Well, we, were, we weren't worldwide, but they could still get it. Right. But it just, it, it just so, took off. It, I mean, I, uh, Vince's idea like was... Channel 5. Yeah. Jerry Lawler, Channel 5. They cared more about Channel 5 than they did about WWE. In those, in it's those like areas? right now, right? Yeah, like right, like right now. I just opened a wrestling school. It's called the Hall of Brawl. It's in Bay City, Michigan, and we're going to shoot on CW starting in October. We're shooting the first shows in, in July. People are going to care more about that show mm. than they're going to care about Raw because it's local. It's happening in their town. It's happening in their state. I yeah. mean, is, do, you, do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, but is it is it changing again? No, you know, with, with, with these Indies only, that are only for the people that are over, only for the people that are going for that. Yeah. You see, I happen to be living in Michigan now, so uh -huh. we got a little a little organization in Michigan now, and the people in Michigan they watch only us. Uh -huh. They don't care about WWE. They really? care about they care about yeah, because it's close. It's the Michigan wrestling, the local wrestling. So is it coming they full circle here? You know what I'm saying? Because you yeah, see, yeah, you see, like exactly. uh, you know, this all-in event. They sold out in a half an hour, ten thousand tickets. You you see, uh, yeah, yeah, New Japan, and and is it is it changing again? It never went away. It's just that everybody went out of business. 
But the people that could survive and open up little little organizations and run like three or four towns a week and have a, have a little TV show locally, you you could get more of a buzz than the big show. Now I listened to an interview. I don't. I think it was uh, a while ago. I think when you were with on Jim Ross, it was, and and you were just talking about starting this. Um, ter- I guess a territory. Little is. Yeah. Is that still happening? And how how? Yeah, it's it's happening. happening. It's already happened. We we have a wrestling school. We yeah. actually have our third lesson tomorrow, and it's called a Hall of Brawl. And we have this building that we have permanently, and yeah. it's uh, it, it's attached to a church, and uh-huh. we're gonna. We're going to film TV out of it. We got cameras that are coming, coming down. It holds only 360 people. That's all it holds. So what we do is we surround the whole ring and then we shoot the camera straight, the hard camera straight down, and we don't show the walls. And we, 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 we kind of make it look like it's a bigger crowd than it is. So we got all these hungry kids. We learned all these a lot. Students now, and I'm trying to, oh, my God. All these <laughs> students. And, and, and going in there, I, I don't know how I get sore by showing them how to get a headlock, how to get a hammerlock, how to do this, how to get that. But I come home and I'm sore. But really? uh, but it's good because you know why? I feel the I feel the heart in one kid, and I, I feel nothing in another kid. You know, I could tell which one's going to make it, which right. one's a ringer, and which one ain't. I mean, it's interesting. That's the interesting part to me is to be able to interpret if he's going to be good or if he isn't going to be good. Oh. That's, and so it's is it crazy? Yeah. I mean, uh, it's on TV there, right? So, uh, is it not yet in October, October. Okay. But is it going to be in one, more than one market or, you know, like in, in the area? It's going to be, it's going to be on the CW in, in, uh, Michigan, but it's going to stream live worldwide. Really? That's good. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, and it seems like I just love watching seeing this happen because I think it's going to be good for professional wrestling all the way around. When you see, yeah, but I had a eighties. Yeah, I had a conversation. I'm going back to the squash job. I'm going back to the squash job, squash job, main event, main event, wrestles, main event, and then come back, come out and see us. Yeah, the pay for that for the house show. You know, and I I had a conversation. I had a conversation with Kevin Von Erich, and um, his sons are they're they're involved in this revolution. Uh, World Championship Revolution, I think it is, and it's going. It's doing the same thing. They're going to be on a uh, an affiliate, uh, uh, I think an NBC affiliate, and they're getting other markets that are going to air these. And I, I think it's awesome. It's kind of like this. It's 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 yeah. come full circle, and I think it's it's going to be great for the business because it gives these guys, the ones who really have talent, to uh, be elevated, and you know m- maybe go to the big big show eventually, but. They've got now. They've got these these uh, platforms that are really, really uh, have good elite talent with them. Right, right. And we got these big, big monsters that we do. I, I got myself like five main eventers. I'm gonna make main eventers, and I got mm-hmm. these kids, and I'm training them to make these guys look larger than life. And your job is to make these guys look phenomenal, like yeah. stronger than they know, than they really are, and just the way we did it in the eighties, just the way yeah. I did it with warrior and with all these different guys. Uh, well, that'd be cool to watch. So, uh, um, how can folks see it? You said the, it's going to be streaming and then how else? Well, can everything, they get will come, everything will come up on. I've always publicized everything on Twitter. It's UCW yeah. wrestling. Everybody around here already knows about UCW wrestling. Mm-hmm. And, uh, one, as far as the streaming, that's the tech geek. He's telling me about a server. I'm not a big computer guy, mm-hmm. but he told me we could stream worldwide. But yet we could hold back in Michigan 
so we could show our show taped in Michigan. But, yeah. but it was so worldwide. I, I don't know. I don't know much about that. I mean, maybe you know more about it than I do. Yeah. Okay. I'm just listening. No, to, I know to it's all, it's fascinating to me, and, and it's that this new technology is it's uh, it's great because uh, people can be worldwide with their product, and they don't need a network yeah. to do it, and you know millions right. of dollars. So it's it is it's, so, it's right. Fun. If you had a server, if you had a server right now, your podcast could be could be uh, streamed all over the world. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know if it works with a podcast. Yeah, you can put it up on YouTube, and that's another revenue source, Steve. I don't know if you've looked into it, but there, you know, you you get, um, you know, thousands and thousands watching that, and it becomes uh, another revenue stream for you. So Absolutely. Well, the knowledge uh, and, that you bring with you, the knowledge you bring with you from WWE. Yeah, I know. I see. Uh, you're talking about how you're doing with the crowds, and then your camera angles. I said, boy, he learned a lot when he was there. <laughs> he paid attention. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I just ordered a, a camera for above the ring so we could get aerial views coming down. Uh, and now you got like switching. Yeah, you can do GoPros. They got them. You know, you can put them all over the place. It's, it's yeah. It's, it's, I, I tell you, I'm not a, I'm not the technical guy, but he did, he did call it a GoPro. That's what he did call it. So uh, what else are you doing? Is that is that keeping you busy enough? It's just a cigar endorsement. is really big because yep. uh, the Hoboken Brawl Cigar and Hoboken yep. Cigars, Don Donato, best cigar guy in the business. That's out. There's a big Father's Day special right now. Can they get and, that online? Uh, they can get it online, or you can go right to at uh, Hoboken Cigars on Twitter. You can order it. You can call the store directly, 77 River Street in Hoboken, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. You can call them directly. It makes a great Father's Day gift. There's a 10 cigars, so like whatever the price is, I don't even know. I don't make the prices. I don't make the cigars, but this cigar guy, He's a master at this stuff. There's a, there's a science to it with blends oh, and all God this kind God. of stuff. Yeah. I mean, are you a cigar guy? No, I'm not. But I do oh, understand the okay. science that people, it's like, uh, you know, people who drink tequila or there are people that, you know, the, the, the liquor. Yeah. It's the same yeah. thing. I mean, you, it, one is not yeah. like the other, <laughs> you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But but every, everything's great. Everything's going fantastic. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, Steve, uh, I, I really want to thank you. I got t-shirts on ProWrestlingTees.com. Pro Can I plug that? ProWrestlingTees.com. Yeah, every- yeah. Celebrity videos, C-E-L-E-B.com. You can get me. I can say happy birthday. I can say Merry Christmas. I can say this. I can say that. And I, you, you, we already talked about the book. Yep. And uh, so, you know. My, my brawler Unfiltered. Yeah. yeah, Brawler Unfiltered. Brawler yeah. Unfiltered. And... Uh, you know, everything goes, everything's, social media is big today. Yeah. Well, you've come a long way from D'Agostino's. Oh, you really did. You really did pay attention, didn't you? I do my research, brother. I do. Yeah. Yeah. But you really, I wanna... story? Huh? Yeah, you, you got that, fired. You story? Yeah, you got fired. I got fired because I told him I broke, I broke my leg. And then he goes, and then the manager calls me up and he goes, how you doing? I go, well, I'm coming along. He goes, I could see that when you were getting yeah. the camel cost from the, from the iron cheese. <laughs> You're fired. You're terminated. Now I'm a full-time wrestler. Yeah. Little did you know he was a he was a wrestling fan. (laughs) Should have thought that through. I'm going to be on TV. Somebody might see me. Yeah. I'm I'm on TV every (laughs) week, but I think no one's going to see me. And they're using my real name, Steve Lombardi. Good. So good stuff. Well, it worked out. (laughs) Yeah. Everything worked out. No regrets. No regrets. I'm and I'm happily married for 32 years to the greatest woman in the world. I love her to death. And. Life is great. Life is great. That's awesome. Well, Steve, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, uh, thank you so much, Steve Lombardi, for coming on Primetime with Sean Mooney. Well, thank you for having me.